This is episode 61 of the Landscape Photography Show, and on today's podcast, we have Italian photographer Enrico Fassati on the podcast, talking with us about his journey in landscape photography. You know, in this discussion, I found it very interesting how we discussed his ups and downs in his creative journey and also what he accomplished through other photographers as well when he was getting started. Not only that, we discuss the two schools of photography. You know, there are people who love the post-processing element. There are also people who say, you know, too much post-processing can often become kind of false or a lie in your photography. So we address that too. The most fascinating thing, though, and I'm constantly surprised by this, is the differences in cultures from country to country. In this episode in particular, we talk about the difference in the knowledge of art history. I feel like that a lot of European photographers have an upper hand on versus photographers in the United States. So we discuss Enrico's knowledge of art history, which I found inspirational to my own photography and something that I'd like to dive into more because of my lack of knowledge. The Landscape Photography Show is a podcast where you can listen to your favorite photographers talk about their journey in photography. It's a place where you can be inspired and also learn how to take better photos. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey everybody, we're here with Enrico Fassati, and Enrico was actually introduced to me by Matt Bishop, who we had on a few weeks ago, and I was excited to be able to talk to Enrico because I think just by reading his biography on his website give, gives me insight into what type of photographer he is, and that's a, an intellectual and a very creative person. So I feel like those interviews are always typically a little bit more insightful and enjoyable to listen to and learn from. Enrico, first off, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Thank you, David. It's a pleasure for me joining your podcast and sharing some of my experience with you. Yeah, why don't you start off by filling us in on how you actually got started in photography. I know before we started the recording process, we were talking a little bit about your extensive journey. Uh, and you use that word extensive when we were talking, I'm interested to hear how you first started and kind of what led you to where you are right now. Well, I started well, my, the, the, my passion for photography has very deep roots in my life because I always um, enjoyed landscape just as a form of art. I remember when I was um, just a kid and I, I, I was uh, passionate about puzzles and posters. And moreover, when uh, I was a teenager, I, I played a lot of role-playing games where on the on the books uh, there are many landscape and paintings about these places these magical places and uh, it has been always something that was attracting for me and uh, during my life i always used camera just for shooting uh, memories nothing professional or just uh, i never had a dslr when i was very young and just later in my life, uh, I decided to purchase uh, a DSLR because one day I was talking about with uh, uh, with uh, with my boss in my office, and he was passionate about photography, and he told me, "Erica, why you don't purchase a camera, a serious camera?" Because I was trying to improve the quality of some of my pictures with Photoshop, but at the time, uh, I had just a, a compact camera, a very, I think it was a Nikon. Yeah, a Nikon Coolpix, uh, a very old one, uh, was my first digital camera. And then after that, I purchased my first DSLR in 2009, I think, end of 2008. Uh, it was uh, an Icon D800. Uh, it was a great camera. And... <laughs> It has been very nice. At the same time, was challenging because I wasn't. Uh, I was totally new to to 
to traditional photography, I wasn't aware about what is uh, aperture or <laughs> double feel, nothing. Just for me, it was just uh, something completely new. And then I started to, to study photography from the basics. I remember that I downloaded the PDF from the Nikon website to understand depth of field with the examples mm-hmm. on paper. And starting from that moment, I started to 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 develop my vision. Uh, the base of my creativity it is always uh, related to romantic paintings and to fantasy imaginary. Um, starting from that point, uh, the beginning, I was looking at uh, the traditional photography uh, from UK. Uh, I was a huge fan. I, I still appreciate the works of Lee Frost, David Norton, and all these guys were shooting with filters, a lot of long exposures, and uh, at the time was pretty trendy on the web. Uh, on the first forums, a lot of people uh, was, uh, were using filters, a lot of filters, taken filters of any color. I remember crazy things like golden blue polarizer. Do you remember that stuff? Mm-hmm. Yeah. From Sing Ray. Well, uh, I think that age was pretty interesting. And, uh, and from, from that moment, I started to to explore more in depth the, the aspect of post-production. And then I discovered Luminosity Mask from uh, Tony Kuiper. And from that moment, uh, I changed my vision about photography and I started to process my picture in a completely different way with multiple exposure. And of course, Photoshop gave me a lot of opportunities that uh, with traditional photography wasn't possible to achieve, especially because I was looking for a more fantasy and uh, dreamy look for my photography. And um, since that moment, then I, I, I developed my my own vision and I started improving and improving my, my workflow um, until I discovered um, 500 pics on the web I'm talking about the end of 2013, and then I started to to explore more in deep also the, the territory around my home. Um, I started to to visit the Alps more often and explore just hiking and sleeping out uh, in in mountain huts to have uh, to be in the field and you know, the best moments of the day, sunrise and sunset. And, um, and thanks to, to the, the, the web community, I met a lot of photographers, uh, Erin Babnik, Ted Gore, Alex Noriega, all these guys were on 500px and they joined the group with them on Facebook. And we started to, was a criticism group. And uh, for me, uh, was uh, extremely helpful because I learned a lot from from these guys, and uh, this group is it, unfortunately no longer exists. And uh, from that that moment, and I started to to talk about um, uh, with Erin about the possibility of um, planning workshops in Europe, and she was looking for a partner in Italy, and so we decided to to work together. From that moment. I, uh, I started my, my career as professional. Uh, later, uh, my popularity on the web um, is real. It, <laughs> it, it, it is the right word. Okay, I mean, um, I started to, to produce uh, post-processing videos and um, my core business actually is selling videos on the web and uh, teaching post-processing. Moreover, uh, workshops in the field, of course. But mainly, I prefer to to keep a little of free time for me for shooting uh, in the field, just for 
feed my creativity and to um, search a new location on the Alps and to fortify my visions. I mean, I think it is essential in, in the work of a landscape photographer searching for new source of inspiration. I, I don't mean, I think it's not exactly the proper word. I mean, new places where to exploit your inspiration, where you can unleash your creativity out in the field, just uh, don't thinking to, to the business of photography, but just to uh, follow your vision and your creativity out in the field. And the research is one of the most important part of, of my job for, for on the creative side. I mean, uh, I can't think to landscape photography without the research. Yeah, I was just going to say, it, it's almost like you're going through the research and you're going through the searching process. I, I recently went out and, and found new locations and went to a new place that's close by. And it, it does it make you feel like when you first started again, that you're just going out and exploring and, and doing it for the passion? Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, every time is just like the first time. I think mm. it's really exciting. And uh, when I'm in the field and I'm searching for a new spot, well, sometimes it is frustrating because not all the time I, I am successful. Uh, it is challenging uh, finding uh, a very nice spot that is original and uh, at the same time, find it with the proper conditions and find the, the, the right composition. It, there is a lot of work, you know. And um, uh, what I'm saying is that all the times it is truly exciting, even if it is sometimes a bit frustrating. And uh, I think it is a, it's something that today... Uh, a lot of people consider the research a bit risky. So they don't want to commit their uh, careers and, um, and shooting days just for research. Uh, I see a lot of uh, people that are shooting only places that are um, catchy, are popular, and they don't want to risk to lose the opportunity to make a picture that is not exactly the best for their audience. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And returning to 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 the, my work of research, it starts from from the books. Uh, I am a, an avid collector of art books from movies, video games, and or just from paintings. I'm following, uh, well, I'm following, uh, I am a huge fan of the, the paintings uh, from, from the Romantic uh, period or, for example, also from, from the Edson River School that is mm -hmm. from the United States. And, uh, well, I, probably you already know um, Bierstadt, Thomas Cole, Edwin Church, all these guys like, were masters. And uh, for me, um, studying the paintings, the composition, the use of light, the use of shadows, the transition, the colors, all these elements are just perfect in, in these paintings. And um, trying to mimic their work just in terms, not of course copying, just trying to to channel the, mm, this kind of um, workflow and this kind of um, this way of working on the landscape because it, it is a little different compared to traditional photography. You, you can't achieve certain results without post-processing. For example, the classical transition that you can see in a painting, the dark to bright, uh, it is not always obvious, especially if you're shooting with modern cameras 
where everything is perfectly exposed, for example. So you have to work on your images to, to achieve certain results. And definitely an important part of my, of my research, it, it is always in related to post-processing. It's not just post-processing. Uh, it is essential in, in today if you want to distinct a bit your your body work from the the large numbers of pictures that are on Instagram. Today, the offer on the web is just crazy. There are millions of photographies on the web. And I think that the, the overall quality is pretty good. I mean, compared to 10 years ago, you, uh, there are a lot of good pictures on the web. So now, uh, believe selling just your pictures or just to be successful as photographer, it is challenging because your work uh, should be more distinctive and unique yeah. and post-processing is one of the best way to achieve this this result and you, the personal style of course is something that is not easy to to achieve I, I always teach to my students to to develop their own vision of course everybody are exploiting or starting from a source of inspiration, a photographer, a painter, or um, a movie. Any, any kind of inspiration could be a good base starting for starting um, a new creative process. And uh, working on, on that, it, it is essential for creating something that is truly original the lack of creativity or just following a standard processing sometimes could be uh, disappointing and uh, frustrating i know that i i talked to a lot of photographers post-processing in in the last years and uh, i remember one guy uh, he's from canada and uh, I remember his portfolio and was just crazy. Beautiful pictures with crazy conditions, beautiful landscapes, but he wasn't able to, to unleash his creativity. He was a perfect technician. So the, the images were just perfect, but there was something that uh, was to, I mean, too artificial, just uh, just a picture. There wasn't mm -hmm. so just technically perfect, but there were there was something that lacked. And uh, the research of post processing and the channeling of inspiration it, it is truly important to me. And talking about uh, the source of inspiration, are, for me, are the lifeblood of my 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 production and um, the creative process that is behind the shooting phase is uh, it is something that is truly rewarding for me because i'm able to to fullify my visions and and find and create something that is truly um, original and not just a pictures a picture and uh, probably um, the most challenging part is to find the, um, the proper subject in reality when you're working uh, when you're watching a movie or uh, you're studying a book with paintings or just photographs and you're studying all the elements and um, when you are in the field you have to be able to compose and uh, put all the elements in, in in the proper way and collect all the material that you need to produce that picture because of course 
in the field now we are using a lot of techniques like time blending focal and blending focused uh, focus stacking uh, panel stitching i can mention thousands of techniques that are pretty popular in the web and among the the modern photographers uh, the the essence is to capture the proper elements to fortify your vision and uh, this work is a work of research that, of course, everybody we have to develop at home, not in the field. You can't be in the field and just trying to do something. You have to be, well, first of all, you, you need to be technically uh, ready to capture certain images and any kind of conditions. Uh, one thing that I always teach to, to the guys that are joining workshops with me is to spend time at home to make practice with your camera and to be ready in the field to capture any condition. Because sometimes when you're exciting, for example, you're waiting for the light and then the light is coming through the clouds and the, moment the magic is happening and you're not ready to capture the image because you are not ready with your camera. So... That is another important aspect. Uh, <clears throat> anyway, returning to my source of inspiration and to the, the Hudson River School, uh, for me, is very inspirational, not only in terms of uh, colors and uh, mode and the atmosphere, but also in terms of composition, where to position the elements and how to build... Uh, the images uh, in the field or in post-production. That is um, an important aspect. Um, another source of inspiration that for me is very important um, is surely um, uh, the concept art that you can find in a lot of art books from movies and games, well, basically art painting. So the elements that you are observing are always the same composition, colors, transition. And it, it is very helpful to understand all, also how to, to plan the colors, how to create atmosphere that are believable. Um, probably Many times uh, you capture a scene with, with the camera and then watching the colors, you wasn't very happy because, for example, your sky was too colorful or too desaturated and mastering the grading and introducing the proper atmosphere in your pictures. It is very important. And... Um, this is, well, sometimes um, it is not um, just obvious when you are in the field trying to, to collect the proper pictures to, to create your, your, your final image. You have, to be, you, have, you have to make a little of practice in doing that. Um, another source of inspiration, as I said, are movies. Movies are perfect to understand. Uh, color grading, for example. There are many movies that you... If you watch a movie, uh, the scenes are never natural. There is always a color cast and colors are making the difference in terms of feeling. If you're watching a, a movie or a scene in a movie where the basic cast is bluish or greenish or warm, the feeling on watching that scene for you it is different. Usually, a cold scene, uh, it, it make it you feel maybe a little uncomfortable. Um, you feel cold, loneliness. Uh, there are a lot of emotions linked to cold colors compared to warm colors, and of course, colors are another thing that are very important for, for a landscape photographer. And uh, studying the colors is, 
is interesting and you can change your image a lot. Uh, of course, depends by, by, by what kind of goal you want to achieve in terms of mode and atmosphere. For example, in my production, all my pictures are using a color scheme that is analogous or uh, monochromatic because I'm always searching for very dark in the atmospheric images that for me are uh, exciting, are, um, are, are so a source of inspiration and for me are, um, I'm feeling, uh, um, I'm feeling in, in a special way when, you are, when I'm able to create something that was in my mind. And working with colors is very important. Most of the times when you're talking about color theory, uh, you hear the terms of complementary color. Okay, complementary colors are, uh, are working very well, but sometimes are not the best option if you want to create a scene that is truly dramatic and dark and moldy. And when you want to jump inside the scene, you need to be overwhelmed by the colors, but not shocked. And uh, in terms of using colors, I, I find uh, more, um, more comfortable in using those colors in graphic elements and not necessarily in, um, in photography. Hey guys, real quick, I just want to talk about today's sponsor for the podcast, and that's visualwilderness.com. Right now, you can go to visualwilderness.com and get any of the courses that I've made that will help you improve your landscape photography over time through post-processing and learning how to take basic images and level them up through Lightroom and Photoshop. You can get those for 33% off for a limited time right now if you use the code DAVID33 during checkout. Again, that's visualwilderness.com and use the code DAVID33 during checkout for 33% off for a limited time. That same deal is going on on my website for courses that I've made for my own website. You can go to davidjohnsonart.com, enter that same code DAVID33 during checkout for 33% off for a limited time. Let's get back to the episode. You know, Enrico, I, I sit here and listen uh, to your answer to finding creativity in the field, and it's honestly inspiring to me. I was just wondering, and I would be remiss if I did not ask this question, because there is a divide seemingly in photography, not amongst all photographers, but some who would say that too much post-processing work is untrustworthy or unrealistic. What would be your response to that? Well, uh, of course, uh, post-processing, well, we everybody know that there are two schools of photography. I am a fine arts photographer and uh, I don't mind about using post-processing for achieving a certain result. But um, documentaristic photography, it is completely different. Reportage photography, in that case, post-processing should be more um, controlled and use it only as a correction and not for overwhelming the scene. Um, is a totally different approach. And I think today, nowadays, in the in the world of landscape photography, there aren't documentaristic photographers. And uh, when people are starting to say, well, you're using a lot of Photoshop. Yes, okay, it is true. But is the true all also that if you don't want to use Photoshop at all, you should use only your camera and not Lightroom, not other converters or software that are, can change what you have in camera. That this is usually the answer that I, <laughs> I, I give to people that are saying, oh, you're using a lot of post-processing. I'm not using post-processing. No, you are using post-processing. 
us, just in a different way. So if you don't want use post-processing, you should avoid it. Of course, it's an absurd discussion. And uh, for me, for what concerning uh, my opinion about post-processing, uh, I, I don't, my, my first question when I watch an image is not, what kind of workflow or technique he, he has used it to achieve that result. But my 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 first uh, talk is, wow, it is amazing. What emotion. Uh, I'm feeling something watching that picture, not how we did it. Uh, so for me, it doesn't matter if you use traditional filters or multiple exposures or whatever. So to me, the most important thing is creativity. And so a photographer should be able to, to communicate his vision uh, with any workflow. So if post-processing is, is the best way, okay. If filters is the best way, okay. So. This is my opinion about post-processing. And of course, I'm using a lot of tools for improving my imaging. And, and, and for me, post-processing uh, has completely changed my life because uh, I'm very well known for my editing. Everything is born in when I started to explore the Alps. I live in the Northwest of Italy and I'm very close to the, to the French border. And um, French Alps are, uh, are beautiful, but are pretty challenging in terms of weather, in terms of location. And so it is very, uh, it's very rare to find a crimson red sky or a very pleasant uh, low light to enjoy the landscape at 100%. So usually French Alps are pretty stormy, a lot of clouds, a lot of rains, a lot of atmosphere. Reminds a bit Scotland in terms of weather. Uh, and uh, when I went the, the first times in, on, on, on the French Alps, I, I fell in love for the landscape. I was enjoying the atmosphere because it uh, reminded me a lot of uh, movies, for example, or Lord of the Rings, or this kind of uh, atmospheres. And uh, my question was how to render this atmosphere in photographs, because I wasn't able to give to my pictures the proper dimension. Uh, you know what I mean? Uh, I wasn't able to, to transmit to people the same feeling that I had in the field watching the storm or the atmosphere. So uh, starting from that moment, I started to develop uh, my popular dark processing. That is just a, is a, a name that is the sum of um, a series of techniques that are um, created by me to um, manage the, the atmosphere and create your image more moody and enjoyable, even if it is a rainy day. I think, you know, Enrico, as, as I hear you talk about conditions in the field, things like that, um, it, it begs the question for me of does photography over time and the post-processing work kind of trend like a fishing story? And, and I don't know if in Italy you have the same stigma to people who go fishing but over time the the fish that they catch gets a little bit bigger every time they tell the story of how they caught the fish <laughs> if for landscape photography though the more time you take away from that time that you were in the field and saw those conditions is it possible that photographers can romanticize about the conditions that they saw and, and make them a little bit more grand in post-processing? Oh yeah. Mm, I, I read uh, any kind of stories on social media. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I, 
I remember uh, I can't I can't say the name of course. There is a photographer in Italy, and I I was shocked by his phrase on on his Facebook page. He wrote, "This is the most extreme hike on the Alps." But come on, where where are you at? And then I, <laughs> I saw the, the the final image where he went, and it, uh, that is just a stroll. <laughs> it's not the most extreme places in the Alps. But of course, people are exaggerating, and they think to be explorers and honestly i i see very few explorers uh, in the world of landscape photography especially in southern europe we have some mountaineers i know a lot of photographers that are hiking a lot they are uh, sleeping up in the mountains with tents it is pretty challenging but of course explorers are are not very common to know they for example i am a huge fan of mark adamus he is traveling in places that are just out of this world and i think is not for everybody there are places that are not just uh, for in italy we have a common saying that he is the the sunday photographer i don't know if in the us is the same and uh, I think on the web there are a lot of Sunday photographers and they can't live in the field and uh, enjoy what is the true, the true essence of nature. I, I, in my life, I had the chance to, to try just a bit of that when I went in Canada and I, I had the chance to explore uh, for example, Asenenborn Provincial Park, and when I went in O'Hara, and we went out for some days with tent without any kind of uh, support. I mean, in terms of food and uh, and uh, places where to rest, and I think that is fantastic, but it is it's challenging, and they see very few pictures, very few photographers that are. They are not able, I mean, they are available to do that. I see a lot of laziness, <laughs> but <laughs> a lot of guys that are just telling stories. But, you know, it, it, it's part of the business. It's just marketing. And uh, uh, if you have a following of people that are trusting in your stories, I think it's a way as another. Of course, you're not... Uh, you can't be believable in the community of professionals, but if your following is trusting you, okay, this is marketing, it's an open market, everybody can sell what, what you prefer. <laughs> That's true. I, I'm fascinated all the time by cultural differences. Um, I think there are drastic cultural differences and where I live in the United States versus in the Northern States in the United States versus where you live in Italy. I, I'm fascinated by the European knowledge of artistic background. And I've had a couple photographers on the podcast, uh, Candace Dyer and Aaron Bobnick, who you mentioned earlier in the podcast, uh, describe their knowledge of their style from their inspiration from artwork do you think that your upbringing in europe has given you more of an appreciation for the arts and, and how that can kind of bleed over into photography and inspire your images oh yeah definitely i as I said before, I, I, I'm inspired a lot by paintings and definitely it is influencing my, my, my way of processing and also my way of, composi of composing my, the pictures. And um, I think it is, um, it's a very nice way all, also to understand the balance in the landscape. In modern landscape photographer, we are using a lot of extreme wide angles, a lot of 11, 12 millimeters, huge flowers. 
and enormous object in foreground and then the landscape in the back. In traditional paintings, uh, this was, uh, of course, uh, not common. Okay, there are some paintings with huge foreground and then in the background, uh, the landscape. But the, um, analyzing the composition, it is very rewarding. And because when you are in the field, sometimes you can compose um, in a way that is more um, interesting and people can appreciate more um, the balance of a traditional composition compared to an exaggerated foreground in the, for example, in, in the wrong place. I see a lot of very good pictures in terms of conditions, but very bad compositions. And um, paintings are definitely something that is uh, very helpful to photography and the, 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 the philosophy itself of the landscape. For example, in the 19th century uh, was the golden age of landscape painting in Europe and America. And the aesthetic concept established during the Romantic era divided the natural world into categories, the pastoral, the picturesque, and the sublime. Um, the, the first two represent nature as a comforting source of physical and spiritual uh, sustenance. The last uh, was um, related to the thrill and the danger of confronting untamed nature and its overwhelming forces, such thunderstorms and chasm. And uh, this is uh, interesting to to read and explore also this aspect of paintings. Uh, in Europe, uh, is quite popular uh, the, cla the classical picturesque village uh, in the mountains or on the coast. And um, the, the, the pastoral and picturesque references mankind's ability to control the natural world. But the sublime is humbling reminder that humanity is not all-powerful. Uh, this is the main difference between the two schools. And uh, honestly, I am fascinated from both the, the, this kind of um, categories. And... Um, this year, uh, unfortunately, due to COVID, I canceled the trip to Ireland because it was looking for um, a trip to the um, searching for some ruins, small villages in, in, in the countryside. I was looking for a little more picturesque approach and less sublime. And I think this is very interesting. Sublime image are show nature at its most fearsome. The terror uh, of nature is something that was truly fascinating for romantic painters. And uh, uh, of course, in landscape photography today, we, we, can, we, we see this trend that is coming back. Uh, there is always a race to, to catch the most extreme condition in the field. And the need of photographers of shocking people with the power of nature in pristine and wild environment is highly uh, appreciated. And definitely it, it, this is the answer of all the popular location for, for example, like Greenland, Iceland and Patagonia, where these kind of conditions are easier to, to find. On your website, you say, and you referred to this a little bit while ago, in the world of photography, you know, there are billions of images that are captured every single day, shared all over social media. Um, but you have to, to add value to your own work. I was wondering, how are you seeing yourself evolve as a photographer and through your creativity? <laughs> That's a good question. And uh, well, for me, the evolution 
uh, is to be able to capture the essence of landscape as um, the reproduction of what I I feel when I when I see certain uh, images or when I see for for what concerning me I, I mean my goal when I when I'm trying to reproduce a scene that I saw in the movie or in the painting and developing my vision reaching being able to I'm sorry be able to to achieve certain results to me is the final goal of my production. And uh, of course, my evolution is always to make my work more uh, deep and more believable in that sense. You know what I mean? Earlier in, in our discussion, you mentioned Tony Kuiper and his use of luminosity mask and that discovery uh, of that kind of style. How much of your success and, and well-known as, as you are, how much of that do you attribute to him and how he kind of teaches that way of, of post-processing? Well, Tony... Uh, well, first of all, Tony for me is a genius because he, he, he has created this way of working that is extremely smart and uh, for for what concerning my, my workflow, Luminosity Mask are the cornerstone of my post-production. And um, because uh, I use Luminosity Masking for for painting, for make blendings, for uh, balance, oh, a lot of things in, in, in my photographs. And uh, in terms of inspiration, well, Tony has not influenced my, my vision, but definitely my way of working. Because mm -hmm. thanks to his techniques, I'm able to, to do things that in the past I wasn't able to do. And uh, definitely something has changed back in 2012 when uh, I had the chance to, to study um, a bit of post-processing with Alex Noriega. Yes, I know Alex well. Yeah, okay. So um, in, back in 2012, I had a lesson, a couple of lessons with him. And of course, uh, he was at the time was doing different things compared to now. He, now he's more focused to intimate landscape, a little more abstract. And uh, at the time, he was shooting more traditional landscape. And I was looking for someone able to to teach that kind of uh, post processing. Of course, he gave me the basics of his workflow. But on that space, I learned some techniques that, that I developed on my own. And then I started to, to create my personal style. But I, I, I didn't try to, to copy his post-processing or trying to make my image a similar to to his body of work but just i was just interested to the the technical aspect to, to how to do certain things and from that point i developed my vision have you ever felt like you've reached the end of your creative vision at times well uh, creativity is going up and down and um, there are moments that you're not able to create. But I, I never said, oh, I finished to, to be creative. No, no, no. That has not happened. And um, I think that the, the fuel of creativity is time to time take a break from photography. And uh, so forcing uh, our creativity just to feed social media is basically wrong because you can't be brilliant all the days and you can't be able to 
to produce uh, a, a very inspired and uh, and something that is original and truly the fruit of your imagination or of your creativity it is just impossible so in my opinion to be a, a true creative you have to to follow your feelings and just wait the proper time to to post process I, I usually publish one picture every two weeks or three mm -hmm. sometimes more and uh, of course all depends by the by the photographies that I'm able to capture. Of course, if you if you capture a very good one and then you're excited to to edit and to 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 finalize your work and 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 when when you are when you're driving back at home and you're starting to think to the to the processing of that image, you are on, on the right way to make a very good one. Otherwise, if you say, okay, I took some pictures, but I have to do too many things to make it nice, ah, that is that is not good. And uh, I think it's better to, to take a break. And of course, feeling creativity is another aspect that I find very important. So just watching movies, uh, spending time in watching other photographers, why not? I'm following a lot of guys on the web. I love to watch their pictures and uh, sometimes not to copy them, just to, to say, okay, that is brilliant. I can do something similar in that place, waiting the right moment or looking at paintings. It is the same way. So feeding creativity, it is essential. And uh, we don't have to, to force ourselves to, to overcreate every day, every day, every day. Well, he's Enrico Fassati. Enrico, I really want to thank you for coming on and, and talking with us about photography and, and in general creativity and how people can tap into that more as creatives in the outdoors. Thanks a lot, David. I hope to be that my discussion, my, my, my presentation, my talk was enough clear. I'm sorry for my bad English. <laughs> it's beautiful english man oh, well, thank you too generous <laughs>